Good morning again. Well, today we are going to be looking at the story of Jacob. We're going to cover his entire life, so it could take a while. Last week, Jolene spoke about Isaac's life, and of course, Jacob is Isaac and Rebekah's son. And it's easy to remember that because often God is described in the Old Testament as being the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so that's how you can remember whose son was who. And those are the three great patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this has been a very difficult sermon to prepare for me because the more I read the story of Jacob, the more I discovered how messed up this family was. It was actually quite shocking for me. His life choices, his wheeling and dealing, his conniving, it's, it's bad stuff, folks. It's bad. And we can romanticize biblical characters, particularly if you've been to Sunday school. And, and we think, what great people these all are. But with most biblical characters, there's this other side to them, this very dodgy <laughs> side to them. Think of the righteous man Noah. How after God saves him and his family, he gets, he gets plastered. Think of the holy man Lot, who, who is allowed to escape God's judgment. How his daughters effectively rape him. Think of Abraham lying about Sarah not being his wife. Think about Isaac doing the same with Rebekah. Think about Moses being forbidden to enter the promised land because of his anger. Think of David's sins, Saul's sins, Solomon's sins. Friends, Bible characters carry a PG warning. And I appreciate how open the Bible is about its characters, its, its stars, its heroes. It doesn't hide anything from us. Another thing about the whole Jacob situation is that it's not just Jacob who's a little bit dodgy. It's his whole family. And not just for a brief period. You know, Jacob had a bad patch. He slipped up. No, it's a lifelong pattern. So in today's sermon, I want to take you through some of the highlights. And in this case, it's really lowlights of Jacob's life. The story begins in Genesis chapter 25. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. And we've all heard about sibling rivalry. You know, the little toddlers fight among themselves about who's going to play with which toy. Well, this sibling rivalry with, with these twins is so bad, they're having a full-on fight in the womb. It's, it's so troublesome 
that, that Rebecca has to pray about it. And she's, she receives a prophecy from the Lord. We read, the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Now, this is a very strange thing to say. Because, because back in the day, being the firstborn carried a whole lot of privileges. But this prophecy that she receives when she prays about, why are these babies fighting in my womb? Is that there is a, an unusual rivalry between these two boys, Jacob and Esau. And the prophecy is that the, the older one will serve the younger one. And when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. And the first to come out was red, and his whole body was a, was a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob, because the word Jacob means heel grasper. And what is really going on here? Jacob is so keen to be the firstborn that he's kind of almost holding his brother Isaac back as he comes out the birth canal. He's like, oh no, you don't. Ah, come back. I want to be firstborn. That's what's, what's happening here. Like I said, the firstborn son counted for much. The inheritance rights, special privileges. But before these boys are born, God has a plan. And the greater destiny in God lies with the younger child. Esau was firstborn, but Jacob was the one that God was going to use. And they have very different personalities. Esau is a, a man's man. He's a hunter. He's a tough guy. He's, he's, he's full of testosterone. He likes rugby and motorbikes. Jacob, on the other hand, doesn't like the rough stuff and prefers to hang around with his mom. Jacob's preferred activities are cooking and flower arranging. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a, a quiet man, staying in the tents, you know, where mum was. I told you this was a dysfunctional family because mom and dad each have their favorite child. Verse 28 says, Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. There was obviously a connection there because they were into the same stuff, hunting and wild game. Whereas Rebecca, uh, she's got this connection with, with Jake. Because he's shown an interest in cooking and cleaning and 
making clothes and all that kind of stuff. And the first hint that we have in the Bible is that this relationship is not going well is when Jacob is in the kitchen and Esau is out hunting. And you know the story, Jacob is cooking some stew and Esau comes in from his exercise, from his hunting and it obviously hasn't gone too well. He's famished and he's, oh, Jacob, wow, that, oh, that smells so good. I've got to have some of your stew. So Jacob, being the mean, manipulator guy that he is, says in verse 31, well, first sell me your birthright. Esau's exaggerating because he's, he's hangry. That's when you're hungry and a bit angry about life. So he's so hungry, he, he doesn't actually care about anything. He just says, well, I'm, I'm about to die anyway, so uh, what good is a birthright to me? And at that point, he sells, he, he exchanges his, his privilege of being the firstborn. He exchanges that for lentil stew. Now for meat stew, you could... This is lentil stew. But whatever it is, the spiritual lesson here is that Esau despises his God-given destiny and privilege. That's really what's going on here. Esau shows scant regard for God's ordained will for his life. In fact, what God has decreed and proclaimed for him and blessed him with means so little to him that he gives it up for a bowl of lentil soup. So Esau is at fault here. He's not valuing what God has given him and blessed him with. But Jacob's actions are worse. It's Jacob that doesn't say, hey, brew, have some stew. I can see you hungry. No, it's Jacob that uses his brother's weakness in this moment to to manipulate him into kind of legally giving him that blessing of, of being the firstborn. But things are about to get a lot worse for this family. And you know the story of how Jacob, at the bequest of his mother, sets about deceiving his father to get the family blessing. What Jacob is going to do now is a little bit like taking your parents' wool and when your brothers and sisters aren't looking, throwing it away, forging a new wool and saying, mom and dad have left it all to me. This is really bad. And Isaac, he knows he's going to die. He calls Esau and says, Esau, my wonderful son, go go and kill an animal and make me some of that wonderful stew that we love. And then I want to give you my blessing before I die. Now, Rebecca was listening 
what's going on here? How can I wangle this so that my son, my favorite, Jacob, will get the blessing? Well, we're going to dress you up in Esau's clothes. We're going to make you look hairy, and then we're going to go and tell your doddery blind father that you're actually Esau. And we're going to get him in prayer to decree and to declare in the name of the Lord that all of the blessings that Isaac wants to give to Jacob are going to come upon you. And you know the story from Sunday school. They pull off the scheme and they trick Isaac. And he blesses Jacob with every blessing that there is. This is a wife betraying her husband. This is a son betraying and deceiving his father. This is a brother doing in his brother. And the blessing is given to Jacob. And then the hard-working Esau comes in from the field. He's caught something. He's going to make some stew. Hi, Dad, I'm back. Just give me an hour or so and that meal will be ready for us to enjoy. Verse 33 says, Isaac trembled violently. And he said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I I ate it just before you came, and I blessed him, and indeed he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a bitter cry and said to his father, bless me too, father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing." Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob, heel catcher, usurper, deceiver? He's deceived me these two times. He took my birthright, and now he's taken my blessing. Haven't you reserved any blessing for me? And the answer is, no, not really. I have made him Lord over you. And I've made all his relatives his servants. And this completes that first act of deception. It is not surprising that we read in verse 41, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. And he said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. Then helicopter parent Rebecca comes in. My son Jacob, your brother's out to kill you. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran. Mothers to the rescue. And wait until your brother's fury subsides. 
There's nothing spiritual about Jacob's actions here. His actions are wrong, they are immoral, they are deceitful. And Esau points out, isn't he rightly named Jacob? And that's where, what the word Jacob means. And I came across this author that put it so well. Let me, let me read you some of what he says. His name is Steve Foster. He writes, both Esau and Jacob were, were masculine but exhibited in different ways. Unfortunately, Esau's masculinity was the type that appealed to his father. Heel catcher was probably meant as a term of endearment. Oh, sweet, let's call him heel catcher because he was holding his brother's heel when he came out the birth. But this idea of being heel catcher, always trying to be one up on the next guy, it actually came to define Jacob's life. Jacob grasped at all he could get to get ahead. In athletic terms, Jacob would have been a competitor, doing all he could to beat and surpass the guy next to him. Esau says he's rightly named Jacob. It's like in rugby when in desperation you heel tap the guy before he's about to score the try. I mean, is that even bad sportsmanship? I, I don't know about that rule. I mean, it still takes him down, but it's, you know, it's not really how it's done. So Jacob's got this name. By the way, stick with me. I'm going somewhere with the story, but we're just getting some context. So the point I've tried to establish is that Jacob's not a nice guy. You're all with me on that one. Not a nice guy. Man. Okay. It's very important that. Now he's fleeing from his brother that wants to kill him. And you know what? He has a sleep. And God gives him an amazing dream. And he sees a stairway to heaven with angels on it. And the Lord speaks to the deceiver, the struggler Jacob, and says, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham. I will give you and your descendants land. You'll be like the dust of the earth. You will spread. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. It gets better. I am with you. I will watch over you wherever you go. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. Here's Jacob who's lied and cheated and struggled all his way, always trying to prove that he's better than the next guy. He's broken his father's heart. He's created havoc everywhere he is. And he has a dream, and in the dream, God isn't saying to him, Jacob, you bad, bad boy. The dream is, I'm going to outwork the covenant I made through Abraham, through you, Jacob. Even though you don't really believe that, 
I'm going to do it. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to use you. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Are you still living in that paradigm where you think God blesses all the good people and makes bad things happen to all the bad people? Because that's not what the Bible teaches. What a clear example of the doctrine of election. That when God decides he's going to outwork his promise, when God decides he's going to do something, nothing's going to stop that. Even in this dream of the angels on the stairway to heaven, there's this very unspiritual response from Jacob's part. I in would call this an if-then statement. It's kind of Jacob bargaining a bit with God. Oh, God, okay, well, if you do that, then I will do this. If you will be with me, it's very negotiating with God as well, because he is a bit of a negotiator and manipulator. Okay, God, if you do all this stuff, uh, then you will be my God. I didn't even think Jacob has a particularly strong faith. But back to the doctrine of election. This is what Paul writes in Romans 9. He says, remember that story of the two boys in the womb. Rebecca's children had one and the same father, our father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born, or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. And that's a quotation from the book of Malachi. Jacob is no hero, friends. He's no great man of God. He's a manipulator and a deceiver. But God has decreed, before these boys are born, before either have done anything good or bad, I've got a plan. And I'm going to work out my plan, says the Lord, And nothing's going to stop it. Not your lying, your cheating, whatever it is, because my plans are bigger than your plans. But now we're going to find out just how dysfunctional this family really is. And he meets the woman of his dreams. Her name is Rachel. This is when he's hidden away in the desert somewhere. He meets Rachel. He negotiates with the father-in-law. Okay, uh, to be, I'll work seven years for you if you will give me this, this woman whom I love as my wife. I'll work seven years for you for free. You know the story. He, he works for her. Because he's in love with her. 
and the time just flies by. And then the time comes for the wedding after seven years of, of work. And there's a lovely wedding reception and and I believe Rachel's there having a lovely dinner, chatting to everybody. And then it comes time for the honeymoon to begin. And you know how brides get dressed up for the honeymoon? Well, maybe she was already all dressed up. So I think it's at this point that Laban slips in the older daughter. Okay, Rachel, show's over. You go to bed, honey. Rachel, now's your moment. She's fully veiled. There's been a night of partying and drinking. Off they go to the bridal suite. Perhaps she's tucked nicely under the sheets, waiting for Jacob. And Jacob wakes up in the morning after consummating his marriage. And he finds that he is married to the older sister. This is not a good start to married life. But Jacob, the manipulator and trickster and deceiver, has been played. Yeah. And now he has to work for another seven years. But he doesn't have to wait seven years to marry the woman he really wants to marry. So now he's got two wives. Also not a good idea. Because it takes all of a man's attention and energy to look after one wife properly. And vice versa. Now you've got two women each trying to win their husband's love. You know, there's a proverb in the Bible that says how terrible it is for a woman who is married who is unloved. Well, that's the situation here. So now they think that by having babies, they can earn their husband's love. So there's this little competition that, that gets underway, and it, it starts off with Leah, 1-0 to Leah, 2-0 to Leah, 3-0 to Leah, and Rachel is beginning to feel like she's losing this. And so Rachel, the deceiver Rachel, hatches this plan. Well, we'll take my, my servant girl and, and lie with her, Jacob, and then, you know, that will count as my child. So that plan happens. Then, then Leah stops having babies. Oh, so then Leah thinks, well, I'm not going to be get a, 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 lose out here. So now, um, Jacob, take my servant and, and have a baby through her. And that happens. And then we get to what I think is the craziest story of them all. <sighs> okay, here we go. Here we go. Someone's gone out and got flowers for mom. Mandrakes. 
And one of the wives say, oh, those flowers are so lovely. Can I get the flowers? You, could you give me some of those flowers? It's a nice opportunity for, for manipulation. No, I won't give you the flowers. But if you let our husband sleep with me tonight, then I will give you the flowers. You must sleep with me, she said. I've hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he slept with her that night. I told you this was a very weird family. Very weird. And finally, Rachel is able to have a child of her own. And his name is Joseph. But with all of this cheating and immorality, these are the 12 tribes of Israel coming into being. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? I need to rush ahead because we're running out of time. Let me just cover one other little important bit of manipulation. So, because Laban tricked Jacob into marrying the wrong woman, Jacob had it in for Laban in a big way. So after the 14 years are up, he decides he's going to take his father-in-law to the cleaners. And he embarks on a program of economic sabotage to do with breeding. And he's got all of these scams and tricks about how to get the animals to breed in a particular way that they have stripy coats and then those animals would be his. It's crazy stuff. But there's a lot of manipulation that goes on by Jacob because he hasn't changed at all. You can read the story. And then Laban's other sons are fed up with Jacob because he's now stolen all the family wealth again. And for those of you that are grandparents, maybe this next little point will speak to you. Jacob's next trick is to take all the grandchildren, and there were a hang of a lot of them, and disappear in the middle of the night without even saying goodbye. How's that, hey? Just delete you on WhatsApp, cancel everything, we're out of here. And you wake up three days later thinking, huh? What happened to my family? They've gone. So Jacob did that as well. So then Laban gets all of his, his militia together, and they go charging after Jacob. And you'd be interested to know what, what conversations that's going to happen. But I need to point out something here. Because... It's like for the first time God speaks to Laban in a dream when he's chasing after Jacob and God warns Laban, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. This is God watching out for this bad guy Jacob because of God's plan. 
And so Laban doesn't kill, kill everybody. Another thing that happens in the story is that Rachel has stolen the family idols. You may think, well, why does Laban even have idols? Well, that kind of even shows, shows where his heart's at. And then there's the whole story about, well, where have you hidden the, idol, the, the idols? And uh, Rachel's got them with her. You can read about that and her scheme there to make sure they're not found. And then uh, they kiss and make up. And the family is restored. And now I want to get us to the very end of the sermon. Here we go. They make a little covenant together, Laban and Jacob, and they say, God has seen my hardship. He's seen how you have treated me. And last night, God rebuked you. There's kind of an awareness now in Jacob for the first time that God is there, that God is with him. They kiss and make up. And now we come to the conclusion of my sermon. There's, there's one other thing that still has to happen. Jacob has to make up with his brother Esau. That's a broken relationship that has to be restored. But Jacob is super scared because he knows Esau wants to kill him. So he divides up all his possessions into different groups. It's a little bit like diversifying on the stock market. You know, you don't want all your eggs in one basket. So everything gets separated into three groups. And he sends his wife and all the grandchildren over the river, and he's left alone. And he's all by himself. And suddenly, out of the blue, a man comes and attacks Jacob. And they wrestle for what seems like the whole night. Here's the story. Jacob replies, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. By the way, this is either the angel of the Lord or a pre-incarnate version of Jesus. But it, the text says he wrestled with God. And I want you to see what happens now because it's the, the climax of the story. They're wrestling through the night. Jacob and God, they're struggling and it's this grip and that lock move and whatever it is, wrestling. And suddenly the divine being at the end of it all touches Jacob's hip and Apparently, there's a tendon there, just one, and something happens to that, and now Jacob is, is wounded. And then the man says, God says, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with man, and of overcome. 
How has Jacob struggled with God? Well, he's failed to trust God's sovereignty. You see, if God's got a plan for your life, it doesn't matter where you come first or second out of the womb. It's not going to change what God's going to do through you. Jacob struggled with God. He, he failed to accept his birth order. And so he, he schemed to, to fix that. He failed to trust God's power to bring things about. Jacob was a, a spiritual f- struggler. Nothing came easy for him. And Jacob struggled with with man, he, he, he wanted to pull his brother back when he came out of the womb. He, he manipulated and cheated his way through life, ripping off Laban, being ripped off. That's just how he rolled. And finally, God says to him, I know who you are and what you've done. You are a Jacob, a struggler. But from now on, your name will be Israel. That's where we get the name Israel from. And I think at this point, almost at the very end of his life, Jacob changes. And again, and I close with this, this guy Steve Foster writes. Talks about how his insecurity drove his ambition. Bottom paragraph. The heel catcher became the God wrestler. And in the end, Jacob was blessed for being Jacob, not Esau. Jacob emerged from his struggle with a lump. God had to cripple him to bless him. The man who had grasped at everything to feel adequate finally learned to grasp only on God. And the author says, I take comfort in the fact that if God can love and change a person like Jacob, then he can love and change anyone, especially me. Well, that's a a refresher for you on the life of Jacob. It's worth reading the whole chapters from verse 25 on, but uh, that's that's the gist of it. Uh, So let's pray. Lord, help us to see that you have plans that are way bigger than our little lives. Help us to see that your sovereign will cannot be thwarted. Lord, to our modern sensibilities, the phrase, Jacob, I loved and Esau I hated, doesn't sit well with us, Lord. But your word is clear, before any of them had been born, though they had the same father, though they had done nothing good or bad, you'd established a plan, a plan to bless Jacob, and to use him to be a blessing to every human being on the face of the planet. And we thank you too, Lord, that our weaknesses and our sins 
cannot derail your sovereign plans. And thank you that as you changed Jacob's name, that you recognized who he was and what he was, but you gave him a new name, a new identity, and a fresh start. We thank you that you're willing to do that with each and every one of us. And Lord, we are those that have wrestled with people, with life, and with you. And today we say we will wrestle no more. We acknowledge your sovereignty, your power over us, your power over our lives, your power over our circumstances. And we too would simply say, Lord, would you please bless us? Thank you that you change us, you change our names. That you've got a little white stone in heaven with a precious new name for each one of us. And Lord, we look forward to the day when you will take that white stone and you will tell us each what our new name is. And Lord, that's the identity we embrace and wish to walk in. And all of God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening. I'm not going to be shaking any hands today. Because one shake with me is effectively 150 shakes with everybody else. And we all need to be careful. So let's enjoy coffee and tea and uh, some fellowship. Thank you.